This week I paid attention to how many warning labels I saw on a given morning. The shampoo warned about avoiding eye contact. The coffee maker warned about electrical shock. The exercise machine that I went on warned to not use if you have a heart condition. The medicine warned to use as directed. My car had a warning about using GPS while driving. The street sign warned about an accident that was up ahead. And this was merely in the first couple hours of being awake. We could say that there are way too many warnings. Or perhaps you might want to say there's way too many lawyers. I'm not quite sure which one. Probably a combination of both. But I'm guessing that most of us ignore warnings. We say, yeah, I I understand. I know. I get it. Nothing's going to happen to me. But as we come to this section of the Bible this morning, I think this section should have a warning label attached to it. Warning. This will go counter to what you believe and perhaps even think. Warning, this will go against what modern culture says is right and even important. Warning, this will make you rethink American Christianity and its preaching. Warning, this will cause great discomfort to your pride, to your self-being, and your overall person. Warning, this will make you see yourselves as you actually are. Warning, this truth should be entered into at one's own risk. And I think all of those warnings would be legitimate. And therefore, as we enter into this passage, we have been forewarned, so to speak. And these are warnings that cannot be ignored. They cannot be ignored if you want to be a Christian a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say if you want to be a great Christian or even a super spiritual Christian. No, I said these cannot be ignored if you want to be a Christian, period. These are for all. Likewise, we cannot pick and choose those that we like and leave the others out that, well, I don't know if I can quite conform to that. Because this is that which must be true of all Christians. These are characteristics of the Christian life. This is the entryway into the kingdom. This is the way in order to meet the king. This is life in the kingdom. And so as we come to these first of the Beatitudes, we see something of the key which unlocks the door, that this first one is foundational, fundamental, perhaps, the first step. And the reality is it's not even a step at all. Rather, this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, is an acknowledgement. It's really a recognition that you are incapable, that you are powerless, That you cannot make one iota of a move towards God. 
That you cannot save yourself. You cannot incur favor. You have nothing and indeed deserve nothing in order for God to save you. It must be based solely and purely upon God's grace and upon his mercy. And yet what we see, which is so amazing, that this is the portal to blessing. This is what the world so desperately looks for and is searching to find. And so I ask you this morning, as we begin, will you know of it? Will you find it? Because I tell you, it begins here with this beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we'll see this in three points this morning, dead end destitute, and desperate. Dead end, destitute, and desperate. Even as I say those, you might be saying, hold on, pastor. I thought you said this is the way of blessing, perhaps even the path to happiness. And it is. But as you hear that, you might think it is the opposite. You might say, not so sure I like the sound of that. Well, welcome to the Beatitudes. And indeed, the kingdom of God. Because what you see is that literally the kingdom of the world is turned upside down in these passages. That what Jesus teaches here is truly radical. But before you go on to say it is crazy or even ridiculous or that you are skeptical let me ask you to give an ear, to give an opportunity to this passage. Perhaps I should say give an ear towards Christ, an opportunity for Christ to perhaps minister to you in a way that he never has before. Because I guarantee you that even as it sounds ridiculous now, it was just as ridiculous when Jesus spoke it 2,000 years ago. This teaching has always gone countercultural towards our normal ways of thinking, our normal ways of living. And yes, perhaps it may be ridiculous, or perhaps it may be that which is really true and even real. And this, as such, might be the pathway to true and lasting blessing and happiness. And it begins with this. The first points of the dead end. As I mentioned last week, these opening verses, verses 3 through 11, are known as the Beatitudes. It's a term that comes from the Latin to be blessed. And that term, blessed, is repeated at each and every one of these. That this is the way to happiness. This is the way to bliss. This is the way to contentment, to wholeness. And no doubt when those that heard it sat up and listened, their ears perked and said, blessing, yes, that is what I want. Happiness, indeed. And it is no different for us, is it? If we use those terms, those are terms that unite. Those are terms that people in our age want to hear about. Those are bestseller books, the way of blessing, the way of happiness, the way of wholeness. But I wonder when Jesus said these things that their smiles 
went to perplexed looks when Jesus said, blessed are the poor. No doubt they were thinking, no, no, you got that wrong, Jesus. And perhaps we would be there right with them. No, we would say, blessed are the rich, not the poor. No, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we would say, no, blessed are the strong in spirit. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. And we say, no, blessing comes to those that laugh and those that carry on. Those that are free, so to speak. We could say that with each and every one of these. Because they're so opposite. So counter to our way of thinking and even living. In fact, they're so opposite that you might be thinking that Jesus is using the old bait and switch tactic. It's a tactic that we use quite easily. It's well used if you're a parent, no doubt. Children, would you like ice cream? Yes, yes, we want ice cream. Okay, good. Well, we're going to clean the garage first. Clean your rooms, and then you can have ice cream, right? And we might think that Jesus is doing something similar here. Do you want happiness? Okay, great. Well, first you need to be sad. First you need to be poor. And then later we can go on to move on towards this blessing and this happiness. No, that is not the way that we should read these It's not work hard so that you can be rewarded later. It's not get all that sadness out of you so that you can be happy. No, what he's saying here is that there is blessing in being poor in spirit. That there is true happiness even in mourning. What Jesus is laying out here in the Beatitudes is not something that we move beyond. It's something that we come back to continually. All the time. Look with me at this beatitude this morning. And what it says, because I think this is key and you shouldn't miss it. Notice he says, blessed are the poor in spirits. Blessed are, which means present tense. He's not saying blessed will be the poor in spirits. He says, for theirs is, not will be the kingdom of heaven. No, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, present tense, the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, those that are poor in spirit now will be blessed in the future. They will have the full manifestation of the kingdom of God. That is a true truth, no doubt. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. That is not what he's talking about. He's saying that there is a present blessing. That there is a present blessing found in being poor in spirit. And so why does Jesus begin this way? Well, I think he begins this way because you must first and foremost recognize that he is the only way of happiness. Too often people are glad to add Jesus to their lives. Kind of add Jesus to the mix. You know, Jesus has some good things to say. He might be able to help me along the way. And so I will use him. I will use his sayings, his teaching, his wisdom when convenient. We're very familiar with this. Politicians do this all the time, don't they? They're very glad to quote scripture 
They only quote that which advances their cause or their opinion. They like to say, oh, let us remember what Jesus says. I always want to say, hold on, time out. How about everything else that Jesus says? Do you want to include that as well? Because that will change everything. Or perhaps even you recognize this with family members or co-workers, or perhaps this is even true of yourself, that you're happy for people to be Christians. Your family members, your co-workers may even join you at church. They'll come. They'll sing the songs. They'll pray the prayers. They might even say, well, they enjoy it. Why? Because they are open-minded, well-rounded people. They'll take a little of this and a little of that, and they'll say, well, it's all truth, isn't it? Really, truth is what you want to make it to be. And so if Christianity works for you, then it's, well, that's great. But you have to understand with this beatitude that Jesus doesn't allow for that type of thinking. That this isn't just one way. This isn't just one option for blessing. Not just a way of happiness. No, Jesus here slams the door on all others. He says, if you want to be blessed, this is the only way. And he is quite exclusive. That if we want to come, we must come on his terms. Or we must not come at all. And so to do so, as we come to this first beatitude, we must in a sense, close the door on all other searches. We must close the search in the world. And yet, how often have we searched in the earthly realm? We've continually searched. That that carrot has always been dangled in front of us. That when I get this or that, then I will truly be happy. Then I will be truly blessed when I finish that degree. When I get that job, when I get that position, when I get married, when, when I have children, when I have more children, when I have that car, when I have that house, when I get that vacation, well, when I retire. Notice, it's always about what you are going to get, and then you will be happy. Let me ask, how has that been working out for you? Sure, there is some blessing, there is happiness, but it is never sustained, is it? Children, let me ask you this. How many of you, before the days leading up to Christmas, came to your parents and said, Mom and Dad, if I only have this, then I will be so, 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 so happy. It's the only thing I ever wanted. And your parents, being good parents, got you exactly what you wanted for Christmas. And you were so delighted and so excited. Let me ask you, now it's March. Are you still just as excited about what you got? Probably not. And that is true of all of us, not just children. Blessing is not found in the world. Likewise, blessing is not found in our own resourcefulness. That thinking if we present ourselves or pursue our endeavors with a specific will, a specific resolve, we can achieve anything. I just need to be a little bit more self-confident. Self-assured, I need to express myself. I need to know myself. Because if I appear that way, then I will achieve that which I'm looking for. If I have a big personality, if I'm large and in charge, if I take the world by the horns, so to speak, so that people really sit up and take notice, then I can achieve whatever. 
I just need to do it. Just do it is the mentality, right? Again, it's a worldly philosophy. And we don't find it in the lips of Jesus. Likewise, blessings not found within ourselves. The world tells us to be true to self. Find the truth within to be you, whoever that you may be. You do you, they say. Don't let anyone tell you different. All of it is drivel and meaninglessness because it's not the way. Because it's not the way that God intended it to be. Mankind has been the problem since the very beginning, not the solution. And so we must look to another source to be the answer. All of our searches come to dead ends. And this first beatitude recognizes that there is no other path than to him. In a sense, Jesus paints us into a corner and makes us come to the end of ourselves. And how do you know if you've come to the end of yourself? This is the way. Because we become destitutes. Blessed are the poor in spirits. Or blessed are the destitute in spirits. And this idea of poor is not just slightly poor. It's not just having a few things but doing without. Now this is not low to middle class poor. The term that Jesus used here, patokos, in the Greek means beggar poor. It literally means to have nothing at all. To be without anything. And if you want to come to Christ, then you must recognize that you have nothing. You have no resources, no possessions, within or without. That you have no bartering power. You come utterly and desperately to his feet. You come in that attitude of being desperate and destitute. And all you can do is cry out to be poor in spirit. A few weeks ago, I had a physical picture of what I think this is trying to say spiritually. And it's a bit of an embarrassing point to admit. We have a window in our living room that we open up, and it has two panes, the top pane and the bottom pane. And so I opened up the bottom pane because it was a beautiful day, and I wanted to let some fresh air in. But uh, still being winter, it got cool at night, so I went to pull down that window. And I pulled on it, and it didn't move. And I pulled on it a little bit harder, and still didn't budge. And so being a typical man, I thought, well, I'm going to show this thing. It just needs a little more muscle. And so I wrapped my finger around the end of that window frame and I yanked it down and sure enough it closed with my fingers stuck between the two window frames, which was bad enough and painful enough. But even worse was my fingers were now pinched in there and the more I tried to pull on them, I could not remove them. And so I could no longer pull up the window and I no longer could push it down. I was completely and utterly powerless. I was stuck. I had lost all leverage. 
I was trapped in a desperate situation, absolutely helpless. And all I could do was not only cry out in pain, but cry out for help, for someone to come and lift up that window for me. And I think that is exactly what this picture is. That we oftentimes think it's in our own strength, with our own power, with our own muscle, I can take care of this. And all we do is make it worse. Until the Lord brings you to a place where you have no place to turn. You are trapped. But it's the Lord's trap. And the more you try to wiggle away, the the noose of desperation tightens and grabs hold. To quote the 19th century poem, the great hound of heaven has you in his grasp. And that place is a place where it's a place of being destitute. And third, it's a place of being desperate. All other options are closed off, choked off. There's only one way. There's only one place for breath. And how you desperately desire to breathe with a breath of spiritual life. And it's in that place that place of being desperate that I think God comes and finds us and has mercy upon us. Listen to this passage in Ezekiel. It's somewhat of a graphic picture. It's talking about Israel, but I think it's a picture of us all when God says to Israel, as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. Nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things out of compassion for you, but you are cast out on the open fields. You are abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by and I saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, live. I said to you in your blood, live. Notice what this is. This is a picture of an aborted, an abandoned child that is utterly helpless, utterly unwanted, discarded by the world. And yet it was in that place, God says to Israel and says to each and every one of you, that's where I found you. That's when I rescued you. That's when I said to you, live. And he gave us spiritual life in which to breathe. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, destitute in spirit, desperate in spirit. And that's the place where each and every one of us must come. And so let me ask you this morning, have you? Have you come to this place physically and spiritually? Not that you have to be physically poor. No, that's not what it's talking about. You can be the poorest of the poor and still not be poor in spirit. Likewise, you can be very rich in terms of the world, which indeed each and every one of us are, and yet be poor in spirit. Listen to what David says in Psalm 70, verse 5. He says, I am poor and needy. Do you think David, as the king of Israel, was talking about physical wealth? No, I think he had everything he needed, and then some. No, he's saying, I'm poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Oh, Lord, do not delay. Again, Psalm 109, he says this, For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken 
within me. David was a man that understood. David was a man that was poor in spirit. He had everything, and yet he recognized that his everything was in God and in no place elsewhere. He understood that being poor in spirit means, first and foremost, being poor in spirit in the heart. Being poor in spirit is largely unseen by the world. There's nothing worse than a person that wants everyone to know how humble they are that are self-effacing. And they say things like this, well, I'm, I'm just a nobody. Don't listen to me. I don't know anything. I'm not even worthy of being listened to. No, don't be such a person. That's not what this is talking about. It's not coming before man and showing them how low you are and how humble you are. This is coming before your God and recognizing who you truly are before him, that you are less than less before God not before man. He did not deserve the least of his kindnesses. And yet, notice this, here is the promise, here is the good news. This is those that come in this way. Not only are blessed, but it says theirs is, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the entryway. This is the way that we must come. We must be first brought low, not in false humility, but in a real realization of who we are. But those that do receive the mercy and grace of God, receive entry into this kingdom that he talks about. There's two wonderful stories that show of this. The first, I wish we had time to go to, but it is from Luke 18, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and you know it well. The Pharisee was full of himself. Praise to God. Tells God how wonderful he is. And then there's the tax collector. Comes in an attitude of being poor in spirit. And later on we will hear his words in our assurance of pardon. But the second is this story. Comes from Mark chapter 5. We read of this. This comes in the ministry of Christ. I see, think here we have a picture of a woman that's poor in spirit and the attitude in which each and every one of us must come. It's Mark 5, beginning in verse 24, and a great crowd followed him and thronged around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who suffered much under many physicians, had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him and touched his garments in the midst of the crowd. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Down in verse 34, it goes on. Jesus said to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Maybe you've come this day because you recognize a part of your own restlessness in your own soul that you are spent physically, emotionally, spiritually, You've been brought to your end. 
even perhaps to the point of desperation. Perhaps there's even thoughts, is, is, is life really worth living if this is what it's going to be life? Life has hit you hard. My friend, I speak to you in all compassion and ask you this question. Maybe it's exactly what you need. That his life is falling apart, Lord, by his guidance and providence is having it to fall right in place. It's having you to come to the end of all your other searches and to find the true answer, which is in him, which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you come finally to the feet of Jesus. You come with the same attitude as this woman. If I just have a peace, if I can just touch his garments, that is enough for me. And what we see, not only for you, for all of us, is that the kingdom of God is reserved exactly for those type of people. But that is the attitude in which all of us must come. That's if we could just have but a piece of his mercy, a piece of his grace, I know that that will be enough. Nothing else has been enough. But this, only just one small touch, will be enough to heal me. And what we see in the rest of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just give a piece. Reluctantly, he gives the whole. He gives of himself. He gives of his body and of his blood so that we may enter in and receive this kingdom, receive his blessing. Let's stay. I hope that you would enter into that kingdom. Perhaps for some of you, it would be the first time that you would come and receive Christ to touch of his garments, to receive his grace, to receive of his mercy, to receive of the fullness and wholeness of who he is. There would be nothing more that we would delight in than for you to come in that way and for you to understand Christ in that manner. And for all of us, if we have come once or we've come a thousand times. This is the attitude. This is the way. This is the entry. This is the way that we must approach God. This is the attitude in which we come. That We never get beyond this. We never see ourselves as deserving more than this. But we see that we receive all that we need in Christ. That he has received and has given of himself so that we could be rescued and redeemed, indeed saved. And so as we come to the table this morning, let us approach with this truth before us. Let us approach in this attitude. Let us take this stance before our God to come in humility, to come in faith, and receive the wholeness, the whole man, body, soul, and spirit, and received wholly in Christ, his body broken and his blood shed for us. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen.